0: The one and only Rick Barry now joins us here on 95.7 The Game. Mr. Barry, Rick Barry, how are you today? And thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks.
0: So we were talking about – this just dancing to my head because we were talking about we were comparing championships and the Warriors' first title under Steph and this dynastic run of Steph and company, and they won it in 2015 and how much of a surprise that was. In 75, can you take us back – is this the true story that – just to sort of underline and put a stamp on how much of a surprise it was that you and the Golden State Warriors won the title that year, wasn't the Oakland-Alameda County Coliseum Arena booked for the ice capades because they they felt as though there's no way you guys are going to be playing in the NBA Finals and that's the reason why you had to win at the Cal Palace? Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, nobody picked this. That's the biggest upset in the history of the, of the finals of the NBA. I mean, there's nobody even close to that. Plus, I mean, you look at all the other major sports in the United States, I still think it's the greatest upset in the finals of the major sports in the United States of America. There's no team that was so disrespected and so ill-thought of at the start of a season that wound up not only winning the championship, but sweeping the team that was picked to sweep us. Everybody was saying is the biggest mismatch in the history of the NBA Finals. It's going to be a sweep. Well, they got the sweep part, right? They just got the wrong team.
0: Wait, Rick, just to stay on that for a second. Now, I don't know if somebody's already done this, but we're, we were just talking about winning time. It's the Magic Johnson back in the day and that show time. And now it's a big, what's it on, HBO? I haven't seen any of it, but my man, Shamari blocks all over this thing. Has anybody, or why haven't yourself, has anybody thought about either streaming that into some sort of an episodic or a show? Or I don't know if there's books on it, but you just outlined what you thought was the biggest upset in the history of sports. Should it get some some level of play in terms of somebody recapturing what took place in '75?
1: Well, it's 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 one of the most overlooked accomplishments in sports history in the United States. Unfortunately, I I was planning and doing stuff, but Charles Dudley, my teammate, and all we actually just got done uh, doing a bunch of shooting and stuff. And there's going to be a documentary and story coming out about it about our team. Uh, I mean, it's crazy the, the things they've had on, you know, documentaries on all these teams and other sports and what have you, and nothing has ever been done about our team. I mean, we weren't on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We didn't get invited to the White House. It, it's it was, it, it, it's just a whole litany of things to the disrespect. And I wanted to get something done because I wanted my teammates to get credit for, for being a part of such an incredible accomplishment, and that never happened. So I'm hoping now, and I've been talking with the uh, – with the producer of the show and telling them when we sat down, you know, why I wanted to try to do it. And Charles had already started. I had some really big time people ready to want to do this. And, wow. and I didn't want to, I didn't want to change any of that at all. I wanted to make sure that we could still get the story told and hopefully it will be told uh, in the right fashion so that people can have a real understanding of this. What a remarkable season it was. Uh, it was just such a great group of guys. It was like a big family and uh, just, Something I'll never forget. I mean, it's the greatest accomplishment in my sports uh, history, and all the things that I've done. I mean, it's just so incredibly special what we were able to pull off.
2: Hey, Rick. So we were before you, uh, you game on. We were talking about the the two things that don't exist in the game, which just de- defies logic. The first one is obviously your your underhanded free throw style. Uh, shooting, which which led to a high percentage, which no one does. And, you know, like that one, I guess kind of, I kind of get because people are like, oh, it don't look, look, whatever. People are concerned with aesthetics. But the skyhook, the skyhook doesn't exist and it hasn't existed. And, and can you kind of, is it an impossible shot to learn? Is it hard? And also, what was it like playing against Kareem with that skyhook? Like, how insane was it? We'd be like, oh, well, I, I, there's nothing I could do.
1: Well, I think it was the single uh, greatest individual shot that Anybody's ever had, and one of the most indefensible. I mean, there's only a few people that ever had a chance to block it. I think Wilt blocked a few of his. Nate might have gotten some, but I mean, it was it, it was just an amazing shot that Kareem had, and his efficiency with it was uh, off the freaking charts. And I, I, I don't think people realize how difficult this. And he was especially at, uh, adept at making shots from the baseline, which you don't have a backboard to help you. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing shot, uh, and I can see. Why people would be reluctant to want to try that because it's so damn difficult. But why they wouldn't want to try the underhand to free throw because of aesthetics? I mean, that makes no freaking sense whatsoever. Who the hell cares how you look? This is the end result which really matters.
0: Rick Barry joins us here this afternoon on ninety five seven the game. And Rick, let's just get back to potentially uh, the matchup that is going to be obviously the Golden State Warriors and. There's this dust-up that took place recently with another player apparently breaking the code, that being Draymond Green, and saying that, uh, referring to the fact that they're going to play the Boston Celtics, and the Miami Heat took that as added incentive and to music, however it is that you want to phrase it, Dudonis Haslam going after Draymond Green and essentially the entire team saying thank you for disrespecting us. Any thoughts on what it is that Draymond said and how it was received by that of the Miami Heat?
1: Well, you don't want to give any fuel to any fire that's out there. You want to just let sleeping dogs lie. I mean, you know, I think he probably made a mistake doing that, and certainly the Miami fans are probably happy because it incentivized them to go out and, you know, Jimmy buckets to go ahead and kill it. I mean, it's have an incredible game. Uh, and, and Boston really didn't play well, especially late in the ball game. Uh, a lot of turnovers by Tatum and missed free throws by Brown. And they were at home, and so now they have to try to pull it off and win another game on the road, which is not an easy thing to do. So who knows what's going to happen in that game coming up tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, you you really don't want to give incentive. I mean, that was kind of like with us. I mean, everybody talking about, I mean, oh, my God, the biggest upset, biggest mismatch in the history of the league. You don't think that that fired us up and wanted us to go prove something? I don't know where they got that from. I mean, they were all talking about, yeah, well, Mike Reardon can get shut down, Barry, you know, what, are you kidding me? I mean, come on. I mean, we we won one game against him. Another game I probably shouldn't have played in. I had a really sore knee. And uh, it's just one of those crazy things. But you don't do that. And you shouldn't do that in sports. You don't want to give incentive to the other team or any individual to make him be even more, let's see, focused on trying to go out and prove those people wrong. I mean, one thing in my life that I always said, I mean, I remember Ned Iris said I was too skinny and flaky. That's why the Knicks didn't, go, go, you know, didn't draft me. And uh, one of the, <clears throat> Earl Lloyd, a guy was talking about me, can I make it in the league? He says, no, they'll eat him alive. I mean, you know, it'll be like raw meat for them. I mean, so when somebody tells me I can't do something, I mean, hey, don't tell me what I can and can't do. I know what I can and can't do. And so if you put your mind to it and you really get focused in, that's a, that's a dangerous animal. You know, and I don't know why. You know why they would want to do that. And so, hopefully, it doesn't come back to bite them. And we'll see. If Miami wins, then obviously they're going to have great incentive because of what Draymond said, and they're going the Warriors going to have to go out there and uh, you know prove him uh, that he's you know that he felt you know he's going to be wrong if Miami wins. Obviously, but Miami's going to have a lot of incentive to want to go and show the Warriors and show the world that that Draymond disrespected them, and we showed them. So uh, there's no doubt that that mindset's going to be there for the Miami Heat if they do win Game 7.
0: Rick Barry is our guest. And just staying on Draymond for a bit because he's clearly outspoken. Back in the day, you were maybe not to the extent of Draymond, but you certainly were a guy that spoke his mind. And while back then you didn't have podcasts, there was no social media, and people didn't do it as frequently as somebody like yourself, I'm just curious, when you look back on that in retrospect, Do you think that the fact that you were so outspoken and that you were somebody that didn't have a filter, so to speak, that that maybe lent towards – I'm not going to say you were blackballed, but maybe the fact that Rick Berry didn't get an opportunity to be a head coach when it was such a logical move, was never a GM. Do you think that that part of that was because you were such a strong personality back in the day?
1: More than likely, yeah. I mean, obviously I always had an opinion about things. I think I'm a reasonably intelligent person and I came in an era when it was like athletes are supposed to be a bunch of dumb jocks, right? You're not supposed to have a brain. You're not supposed to say anything. Just go out and you play and people cheer for you or whatever. Well, I mean, that's just not the way that I function. I mean, I would question things. I would, you know, state my opinion about things. I was very outspoken in that regard. And I didn't have a filter. In fact, if anything, my current wife Lynn is the one that told me, you know, put the filter in, you know, he said, honey, what goes into (laughs) your brain doesn't necessarily have to come out of your mouth. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I obviously, you know, said some things back in those days. I mean, I was totally wrong about things so I got to understand and know Wilt. I mean, I said some things about Wilt that I regret that I had ever said because I got to know Wilt. He was a great guy and, you know, still the greatest center in the history of the game. I don't care who you want to talk about. I mean, the guy did things that will never get done again. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, if there were social media and stuff out there going on, God only knows, I mean, they – crucify me as it was. I can't even imagine what would have happened to me if I did it. But you know, here's the thing. Is, you know, Charles does it all the time. Exactly. But gets a free pass. He gets a free pass. I mean, it's like when I broadcast, I lost my job because they said that I was too negative. No, what I was was informative. I wasn't negative to be negative. I was negative to be truthful because everything that happens on a basketball court isn't a good thing. And so I was one that I learned that what you have to do is that I was never going to neglect the negative. But you have to accentuate the positive. you still got to kiss them butt a little bit. You know what I mean? I mean, so I was just truthful. And if I was negative, I was negative to be informative. And it wouldn't be what a lousy pass that was. Well, no kidding. If you're watching the game, you see that. So say, why was it a bad pass? And what should have been done to make it a better play? And so I really, I was happy with the job that I did with my broadcasting. And I just happened to come along at the wrong time when what's going on in today's world is, is similar to what I did and it's accepted, whereas when I did it, it wasn't.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Do you ever think about if you were in 2022 doing what it was you did back in the day with the Skip Baylesses, and now it's almost coveted that if somebody has a negative response or somebody's informed or sees it a different way, those are the people that are getting front and center and that sort of star quality. Do you ever think that maybe I was, you know, born – 20, 25 years too early? I mean, if you were doing your thing right oh, now. I
1: know I was. No, I know I was. Without question, not only that, I would have had three more zeros on my contracts. <laughs> <laughs> are you freaking kidding me? I mean, it's such a such a major difference. There's no question And I would love to be able to get on TV again with some of these talking heads that are out there that think they know everything about the game, and they really don't, and to be able to challenge them about some of the stuff, and everybody kind of kisses their butt boy I would love to get out there and it's just the same thing I just just listening the other day and I, a young guy who's played in the league is now doing some commentary work and I hear other guys and play by you guy guys can somebody explain to me is there ever or has there ever been a basketball court that was downhill? I think every court I every court I played on was level, and everybody's using this. Well, he was going downhill. Who the heck first started that, and why are people copying that? That is one of the dumbest things that I have ever heard in my life. He was going downhill. No, he's on a flat surface. He's going to the basket. He's not going downhill. I can't stand it when I hear it, and it's the type of stuff that drives me absolutely insane because the stuff that goes on and the things that people happen in the block charge that played late in the game last night. That was, a, that was a block, not a charge. <laughs> and I heard the announcer saying in the NBA, I have talked for years to try to get these guys to listen to me. It was an impossibility. When you plant your foot and you've picked your dribble up, you only did it for one reason. There was a path to the basket. And so if you pick it up and you go, it's not. And I heard Jeff Van Gundy saying it, showing you the, the, the rule and how they interpret it. He didn't start his upward motion. It has nothing to do with starting your upward motion. It has to do when you pick the ball up, because from a physical standpoint, you cannot prevent yourself from continuing to go forward. So if nobody's there, you should be entitled to that space. So if the ball is picked up, watch it the next time. This be really easy to see. The, The driver picks the ball up. If there's any movement by a defender after that, it has to be a block, because the offensive player cannot stop himself. It's physically impossible.
0: You're talking about the Jalen Brown and Don, or excuse me, uh, Victor Oladipo charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right at the late late yeah, in the game, they yeah. called the charge and they overturned
1: it and stuff. That wasn't it. Definitely was a block. There's no question. I mean it was definitely a block. The guy moved underneath him. He moved after he had picked his ball up yet, and I heard Jeff. Well, he hadn't started his upper motion. That's a charge. No, it really wasn't. It was a block. Hey, now, Rick. According so- to the rule book, if they wrote it in the rule book, that if the upward motion, well, if that's what they're saying, they're wrong in putting that stipulation in to determine block and charge. What I'm telling you is the reality of it, and they never listen to me, just like they never listen to anything else that I say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they, they should, they should. Hey, Rick. So the Warriors find themselves in the finals for the sixth time in eight seasons, and you played for uh, you played for the Warriors. You had two different systems of the Warriors with the ABA. You kind of bounced around. And I don't know how much continuity you've had. I know like guys were traded and things like that, like right after '75, and and you guys, you know, who, who knows what could have been. But how important is continuity in the game of basketball, and how has that fueled the Warriors' run of success over the last eight seasons?
1: No, it's 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 very important. I mean, it's a matter of the chemistry, the people that you have. I mean, we I think we lost the championship because, and it's incredible. I think it'll come out in the documentary and stuff about it. But they. We traded our point guard, Butch Beard, away. I mean, how do you you win a championship and you trade away your point guard? I mean, what the heck? And I think that really hurt. Us. Even though we had a bunch, a better winning record the next year, and did well because we were defending champions, not having Butch Beard, I think, cost us a chance to be able to win a championship the second year. So it is an important element. Just like with the Warriors, my biggest concern when they had the championships and then all of a sudden they traded away a bunch of the bench players, remember? I said, oh, my God, because the bench was such an important part of their success. Mm-hmm. And they were fortunate enough to go and make the right moves and bring in enough people to let the bench be a a, a, a Contributor to them. That's what's happened even this year. They're getting play. Their bench is helping a lot. I mean, certainly by the fact that Poole was not starting and coming off the bench, it actually gives them at times that third offensive player who can get you 25 or 30 points. The Warriors won championships before when Draymond was still only getting 10, 12 points, maybe 15. You don't need Draymond to do that, okay, especially with Poole playing. You need Draymond to play his defense, rebound, get the assist that he gets and do the things that he does other than yelling at the officials and getting technicals. <laughs> and because he's such an important part of the team. But this is what you have to have. You want to have that kind of continuity, and you have to be very careful in who you let go and who you bring in. That's why they did a great job. R.C. Buford did a great job down in San Antonio for that long period of time that San Antonio was such a contender because they did a great job of keeping a nucleus together and bringing in other people to fit in with them.
0: Hey, really quick, uh, Rick, I just it's funny about Butch Beard. So he was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for a guy by the name of Dwight Jones. I don't know if you recall Dwight Jones. Yeah, I know Dwight. So he goes to the Cavaliers that same year. The Cavaliers, a last-place team, put him on waivers. The Knicks picked him up for $1,000. So essentially, Butch Beard got traded to the New York Knicks for $1,000 just to sort of put things in.
1: Yeah, the starting point guard on the championship team, and he got traded away because the general manager couldn't stand dealing with his wife. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: no, just just
0: to stay with Butch Beard for a second and going back to that team, you were clearly – I mean, you were more like Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks as opposed to this Warrior team. But if you were to try and make an analogous to who your Clay Thompson or your number two was back then on that run – was there anybody that was sort of? I mean, because everybody was so clearly inferior. But who was sort of your your Robin to your Batman? Uh, Jamal. Oh, that's but right. The thing
1: is, is that the most important person on the most important person on our team, when we don't win the championship, is, was Clifford Ray. I mean, I, yeah. Clifford Ray was the hub. You know, I was a very important you know spoke. You know, as was Jamal. I was was Phil Smith as a rookie, two rookies who contributed you know tremendously to the success of the team, which doesn't happen very often in pro sports. And and then you had you know, Butch, who was an unsung hero without question, and CJ, you know, who, who shot the ball and did great for Charlie Johnson I'm talking about, and then the hopper who came off the bench, Charles Dudley. I mean, it, it was just one of those things. Derek Dickey, of course, I mean, it was such a great team where no egos were involved, and we didn't care... Who got the job done? We just wanted to win. And we played unselfish and intelligent basketball. And despite our size, we were still one of the better rebounding teams. We were one of the better defensive teams in the league.
0: You know, Rick, really quick, just to stay on that for a second, because the game has changed so much since 1975. Guys have sidestep threes. You talk about, you know, teams going five out. Everybody's small, extended, stretched bigs now. But what you, and just doing my homework, you and Clifford Ray, And the pick-and-roll, as much as this game changes, isn't that fundamental principle of the pick-and-roll something that you work to death, especially when you swept the Washington Bullets back in the day? Isn't that still the bread and butter in basketball today, the old pick-and-roll? And And today, they talk about where the guy goes under or over the screen, but as much as the game has changed, the pick-and-roll that you, as well as your man, Johan, exercise to a level of perfection that has has not been duplicated— I, isn't it sort of weird how, how that fundamental play is still evident and almost a prerequisite today?
1: Yeah, well, it has to be. I mean, there's not that many things you can do on a basketball court, and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy and proud, you not know, proud, but pleased that you mentioned the fact that nobody, I don't think anybody, has run the pick and roll play as well as Clifford and I did to use it the most effective way possible. So much of the stuff now is done off the dribble. Screens come from the worst angle possible. Whatever happened to slipping a screen and <clears throat> reading the defense, it, its it's just not. It's not used as effectively as it should be used, but it's still always an important part of the game because it forces the defense to have to make decisions, and that's part of why the Warriors are so successful because they pass, they move, they cut, they do two-man stuff, and even though they don't use the screens effectively, which I could show if we were on television or something. it's just.
0: Hey, hey, Rick, I hate to interrupt, but just think about if Clifford Ray was like today's big, and he could also give you a jump shot, meaning that he could... he could also extend and give you that jump shot. He, correct me if I'm wrong. It was either you with the J or he would dunk, right? You would give that up if you if you read the double team. Imagine a Clifford right today that could extend and maybe give you a mid range game, which is as I understand it, he had none of.
1: Yeah, no, he didn't. <laughs> he had no mid-range game at all. He definitely wanted to go and dunk the ball. That's for sure. And, uh, and he's such a great person, and he just knew how to come and put himself in the right position. And That's another thing that I hear in the broadcasting drives me nuts. He said he didn't. And even the coaches, he didn't set a very good screen. You don't set anything in basketball. That means that that infers that you're supposed to do something, right? Well, if you do something, that means you have to move. If your teammate doesn't do a good job, and this is what happens all the time, if he doesn't do a good job of setting his man up properly to run him into his teammate, who was a stationary object, thereby making him a screener, then what happens is the guy said, "Well, I have to set a screen. My teammate just did a lousy job. I got so they move." They move so much. I mean, it's crazy. Like, even that offensive foul that they call against the moving screen on Draymond late in that game, I couldn't figure That was such a joke with all the stuff that goes on and how many do these guys move. I charted a game a number of years ago against Chicago and against Phil, uh, Atlanta in the playoffs. 59 moving screens weren't called.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: 59.
2: Wow. Wow, wow, wow.
1: And let's not even talk about carrying the ball, standing right in front of the officials, watch a guy dribble, puts his hand on almost the side and under the ball, and, and he carries the ball while he's standing there dribbling. It, it, they could call so many violations, and it just drives me nuts. And I made a big thing after the All-Star game this year about it, and I got some publicity. I said, can the officials please just call the game according to the rule book? I mean, the traveling that takes place, the carrying of the ball, the moving screens, it's a travesty.
2: Hey Rick, you mentioned some terms that that drive you crazy, like going downhill and things of that nature. What well, one thing that's been bothering me lately is Steve Kerr. A couple weeks ago, uh, he said that Dylan Brooks broke the code when he injured GB two, which he did. Since then, I feel like the code's been brought up like five or six times unnecessarily. Um, but but in your opinion, what are some of the true because? Everything's the code, and I'm like the code book cannot be this long. What are some of like the two or three most important unwritten rules in in the NBA?
1: Well, you never, never under, First one, first and foremost, is never undercut anybody. I mean, a guy's going up. That's how I got hurt. I mean, you undercut me. The guy came up to make a play on me when he had no chance whatsoever. When a guy's in the air, he's 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 so vulnerable to things. I mean, you just don't do that. Now, sometimes it happens inadvertently, but what happens is these guys are trying to make the heroic play. When there really isn't a play, and the best thing is, is just you know you, you got to let the guy go. I mean, because otherwise he might have a chance for a three point play, make the basket, and you're going to foul him. But going up and challenging and hitting guys when they're in the air—that's you know that that's a big no no to me. I mean, I, anybody that does that should be thrown out of the game immediately and suspended for as long as the player. If he gets hurt and he's out, the player who did that to him should be able to have to stay out the same amount of time. That's the number one thing. The other stuff is, you know, kind of crazy. They do other things that they come up with. And guy moves under him, and a guy jumps and he moves his feet and doesn't comes down on somebody. They say, well, he went underneath him. Well, sometimes it's not the case. I mean, there was one of those plays in the game just recently that I was watching, and and the guy came up and they called the foul after getting three shots. No, oh, no, he kicked his feet. but came forward on it? I mean, the guy came down straight, just stood there, and the guy's legs went and hit him, and he fell down, and they gave a foul to the defender. So. I just, I'm a purist. You call me whatever you want, but just call the game according to the rule book and the way you call it at the start of the game, call it the same way throughout the entire game. Don't call it one way at the start and one way at the finish. And I can't stand playoff basketball because of the way they allow they allow mayhem to take place out there because, oh, that's playoff basketball. Well, then I always ask the officials, can I please see the new rule book that we're playing by? I mean, all of a sudden, why are the rules changing? I mean, you're giving an advantage to the defensive player that is ridiculous because it doesn't take talent to hold, grab, shove, and push. It takes no skill whatsoever. So you're forcing the offensive player to have to elevate his game because they're letting the defense get away with so much. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's just if some of the things that are done on the basketball court during playoffs, watch what happens to Steph when he's moving without the ball and you know, and watch some of the things that take place with great players and how they're playing. Even with Doncic, I thought he got fouled a ton of times in game that fouls weren't called because, oh, it's playoff basketball. No, a foul is a foul, okay? Just because it's the playoff doesn't change that the severity of the foul has to be at a certain level in order for you to blow your whistle.
0: Quick I.D., and then we'll get back to Rick in just a second. You're listening to 95.7 The Game, KGMZ-FM, and HD1 San Francisco and Odyssey Station. Download the Odyssey app and favorite 95.7 The Game for the best and most up-to-date Warriors coverage. Hey, Rick, let's just stay for a second and we'll let you go, but... I wanted to talk, You know, you're talking about referees. You know what's always annoyed me? And maybe I'm on an island of one here. But that level of, of intimacy and that, you know, referees have these ongoing conversations. And we talk about favorable fouls. And Jonathan Kaminga, it's going to be another year or two before you get that foul. And, and refs, obviously, they're human beings. And they, they create and strike friendship with players. I've always maintained that why shouldn't that sport just be called right down the middle like it was Wimbledon? It's either in or out or Major League Baseball. Why does basketball have this, well, you can sit during a free throw or during timeouts and you can talk to referees. And the referees, as we all know, they have their favorites and they have the people that they, they dislike. Why is that accepted? Why is that baked into the cake? Why should that have any sort of an influence? Shouldn't a foul be a foul? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm with you 100%. They they have to be totally impartial. They should not be trying to do something and make friends. Everybody should be treated the same. The fact that you're telling that Kaminga's not going to get the, the calls yet, that's BS. A foul is a foul is a foul, regardless of who commits it. And when they do it, it's a matter if it's if it's done. If you violate the rule, you blow your whistle, you call it, and it doesn't matter whether it's the last second of the game or the first second of the game. That's the, simp- the simplicity of it. Unfortunately, they are human beings and they're going to make mistakes and they do allow their emotions to get involved. And if they do that, then they should not be an official.
2: Hey, Rick. So uh, just one last thing I'm just curious about. Um, I, I imagine you heard about what happened with Barkley on the set of TNT and fans and all those sort of things. I'm just curious no, on I your thoughts I on that whole situation.
1: I didn't I didn't hear about it because I don't care about that kind of crap. Oh,
2: okay. So I
1: heard that somebody was throwing things at him when they were outside or something in the arena. Or
0: yeah, he's been going after San Francisco. He's been going after the Warriors. I mean, he, a lot of that's just tongue-in-cheek. He's playing a role, right? But he's he's been... And public enemy number one here for years, and so they do their post game show outside, and what is it called? Thrive City. Thrive City. So yeah. he's out here in San Francisco, and he brings a lot of this on himself. But whatever, he, he's you know he's entertainment. However, whether you like it or not, he goes out there, and then people started throwing projectiles at him. It looked as though it was going to get out of hand because he picked something up and he turned towards the crowd, and immediately Ernie Johnson, everybody saying, "Please it's, sit down, John. Johnny."
1: I did. I happened. To, I happened to see the just the end of that when Ernie said, "Charles." You know, <laughs> tell them to sit down and shout. <laughs> yeah. Back off. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Any yeah. thoughts yeah. one way or the other on that in terms of? Yeah, of well, uh,
1: first of all, I mean, nobody should ever be throwing anything at anybody because God only knows what could happen. Hit somebody in the eye. They lose, I mean, come on, just, just you know, some a little maturity. I mean, if you want to, I mean, one thing to yell or do something and still even what you say should, you know, not be abusive or profane. I mean, you just basically just act like a reasonably intelligent human being and don't do foolish things like that never be throwing something at someone else because god forbid that something else happened and then you'd regret that for the rest of your life
0: hey rick before we let you go really quick boston or miami who's a better matchup for the golden state warriors
1: all right before i before i get into that i have to say there's one more thing that i have to say that's crazy that we've talked about all this other stuff and that is who in the hell is the one that stopped started this thing of going up and hitting and slapping the hands of the free throw shooter what the hell? <laughs> Who started that? Why has it picked up? i am up to say, hey, if I was doing to play, i say, hey, I'm going to tell my teammates, don't ever come up to me at the free throw line. Not, but let me. Uh, you should be focusing on making your free throw. And and here's the thing. The guy misses it, and they go up and slap him in the No, if he misses it, you if you're going to do something, slap him in the back of the freaking head. And say, What <laughs> the
0: hell are you doing? Make free throws. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, so that didn't go back to your day, apparently. Because that's oh, all I, I've always known. It' the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my
1: life. I mean, you're at the free throw line. Give the guy his chance. to Just focus on what he's supposed to be doing. You got to be worried about slapping hands and doing it. What? The, where did that start? Who started that? And why did they pick up on it? I, I'm. think like, I hate it. I hate it with a freaking passion. So, and if I was a coach, I wouldn't allow it to happen. I would tell my teammates, "Don't slapping the guy at the free throw line. Leave him alone." Seriously. Awesome. Okay. So now I'll answer your other question. Uh, my only concern is if I, if. if uh, if Boston wins, my only concern about that is they again the Warriors have been very fortunate enough they've got some size, you know, and, and I don't know if the Warriors have really had to be challenged in the seven game series against a team that really has some size and some really some guys that are you know really good sized people and players. So that might be the only concern that I would have with regard to that. Uh, but if the Warriors play their brand of basketball and they played it exceptionally well in game number in game number five except for that one stretch when they blew their 20-something point lead. Because why? The Warriors have always been their worst enemy during these last this run of that they had other than the two years that we want to forget about. Uh, if they stop doing what they do best and get caught up in too much of the one-on-one, they stop the passing, the moving, the cutting, and creating situations where the team has to make a lot of decisions. It's so much easier to play defense if you don't have to make a lot of decisions. And when the Warriors play their best basketball, they force other teams to make multiple decisions, and they're smart enough when the team makes a mistake that they capitalize on those mistakes, and they get a lot of easy baskets, a lot of open shots. And so that's what happened in the game, late in the game, when they blew that lead, and then they fortunately got back again. But I didn't think there was any way that Dallas is going to come back because I call it the deep hole syndrome, especially when you're on the road. If you have, to, you have to fight and work so hard to come back from a double-digit deficit, and these guys had to do that multiple times. You know, they got down, they fought back, they got down, they fought back, they're down more points, they have to fight back. They got it from 20-something down to eight. I mean, you just have so much in the tank. And I just didn't think there was any way they were going to do it, plus there was too much time left in the game. If you're going to have to do that on the road, you have to go ahead and pull it off and get it right at the end so the other team doesn't have a chance to
2: regroup. Hey, Rick, i um do you see either Boston or Miami being a tougher matchup than the Memphis Grizzlies, who, in my opinion, were, 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 are the toughest matchup for the Warriors out of anyone in the playoffs?
1: Yeah, no, they did give them a tough battle. There's no question about that, uh, because actually, that team you know had their record was actually better when John Moran wasn't playing with them when he got hurt during the time, uh, and he's a heck of a player. Uh, but no, they they have r- rise to the occasion, risen to the occasion. And they're doing a great job. And I'm telling you, if you had to pick out one person, one person who would be the guy that's been a huge difference for them, it's Looney. It's Looney. And he's going to have to come. If they play Boston especially, he's going to have to play the way he played in this last series. And if he does, I don't worry about the Warriors coming out victorious. He has been absolutely outstanding for them in this last series. And it was really good to see I'm really pleased for that. And I wasn't worried about game five or the because I said when they came, I told somebody, I said, look, I will tell you, I'm not a betting person at all, especially because of basketball. So I'll bet you one thing. I'll bet you that Clay Thompson does not shoot 28% from three-point range, which I think he was averaging prior to that last game. There is just no way. He's too good a shooter. And sure enough, he comes out, and he just killed him. And you heard him at the end. He said, well, I should have made a few more of them, of course, but that's the mentality you have to have when you're a great shooter. And he had a great game, and you know, Poole's been a huge factor for the Warriors this year. His I have so much respect for him for the way he's taken himself to this elevated his game to this position that he's in right now. He's become a heck of a weapon, he has just an amazingly quick first step off the dribble. Wow. I mean, he just blows by people and gets that hit. Well, he he gets a half a step, and then he's so darn quick, he winds up getting a full step to these guys. So uh, credit to him. I mean, when he got sent down to the G League, it was the best thing they could have done for him because it was a wake-up call. And he, to his credit, he's taken advantage of it, and he's become a major factor for this team, which now gives them three weapons, not two guys who can get you 30 or more in clay and step. They have Pool, who can get you those kind of points as well, and that's a big factor for them. It kind of goes back to... When, you know, when Kevin was here, KD was here, Uh, not to the level of KD, obviously, but still gives them that third weapon that's so critical for teams. You mentioned Dallas. Dallas didn't even have the second one. (laughs) The Warriors got three.
0: Rick, before we let you get out of here really quick, and be as honest as you can here, because I know you, and you're going to embellish this thing, but if you and I go shoot free throws up, forget the hell with me, you shoot free throws right now, I pull you off your couch. Out of ten, seriously, how many are you making? Ten out of ten? Out of ten free
1: right, I'd, I'd be really upset with myself if it wasn't eighty <laughs> percent. Eight out of ten. But yeah, I like, I do. I still go and do seven
0: demonstrate shooting, and then I can do it. I can make eight out of ten with my eyes closed. Actually, I saw that. I remember your camp way back in the day. All right, Rick Barry, my man. Hey, thanks for taking out part hey, of the day. got to get a
1: couple of plugs. Go for in it. it. Well, Go
0: for it. We were waiting I, on it. Go for it. Well, yeah, you know that's
1: going to come up because the <laughs> thing is you guys only said about at least a half a dozen times. One more thing, okay? But that's okay. I don't mind talking basketball. Um, so here's the deal. If people are into cannabinoids and they want to do it, I, I, I'd live with this stuff. They're so unbelievable. Medisoleaf. M E D I C I L E A F. M E D I C I L E A F. com. Twenty Four is the Code. Check it out. You get a super discount on it. I use the products on a daily basis. And then if you have issues with your knees or your calf or your Achilles or your elbows, if you have a company in the Bay Area actually called Go Sleeves. G-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-S Go Sleeves dot and the code is RB24, RB, small r, small b, two four. You'll get a nice discount there. I've been using these things for years now. They're unbelievable. I play a lot of pickleball. And uh, they've got Kinesio tape built into them. They're incredible product. The stuff that I've had, I've had these things for a couple of years. You wash them, they're great. I use them all the time when I play pickleball. And I actually use them. I just got back from a cruise, and my wife had me on in these tours going, walking for two and a half hours, up hills, up steps. I actually wound up, and I fortunately had brought my ghost sleeves with me, and I put them on even my, my good knee and my bad knee. My left one's the bad one, just so I can save my knees from all the walking I had to do. They're, they're amazing. They're an amazing product.
0: Really quick on the text line, it says, you should feel blessed. Rick Barry comes on and gives you NBA Hoops knowledge. You guys should feel blessed. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, of course, that being Rick Barry, we appreciate you coming on. And, we like, you got to stop by, I don't know, maybe over the NBA Finals, and I promise we won't keep you for an hour and a half.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, go go, Dubs. And I'm, I'm looking forward to waiting to see. I think I'm going to hopefully get out there for being number two, get to see that before I go up to the uh, – Charles Schultz uh, golf event to raise some money up there in Sonoma County with my good friend uh, David Wilhelm and, uh, and Mark Enlow, who were just awesome guys and raised some good money for, uh, for a great charity up there. Because I got to know, actually, no Sparky. That was his nickname, Sparky Schultz. Uh, they raise a lot of money for a lot of great charities up there in the, in the wine country. So I'm looking forward to participating in that event uh, this uh, week after the, this one.
0: Rick, thank you so much.
1: All right, guys, a pleasure. Take care. God bless you and your listeners, and uh, happy Memorial weekend.
0: That is the one and only.